plants is my example because I got kohlrabi, it looked like an alien plant. everyone welcome back to do what you can for the people the show that nobody asked for i'm nicole your hostess with the mostest and i'm here today with leanne statuto she is a fellow bardian and before joining the mba program leanne graduated from fordham university with a ba in urban studies and a focus on urban agriculture and sustainable business this past summer leanne played a role in, in the development of just salad's new carbon labeling initiative so be sure to keep your eyes peeled out for that and she's particularly passionate about creating more sustainable food systems for societal and planetary health. And that's why I've invited her on the show today. Hi, Leanne. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here and really excited to have this discussion about something I'm so passionate about and finally be able to talk about it again. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you. Um, I think maybe what we want to start talking about a little bit is how food is a really complex issue. Do you want to kick us off with some of your thoughts and why you're so passionate about this. Sure, so I think food, first of all, is so central to our lives. Literally think of every holiday, gathering, drinks, anything, there's always food at the table. Um, and it's a deeply cultural and a deeply personal aspect of our lives. And yet I feel like we are so disconnected from it nowadays. Um, and when I got interested in food back in college and I started picking out the aspects I wanted to delve into. And I was writing a thesis on it at the time and I started realizing that my 30 page thesis started expanding because you can't talk about food without talking about how old average farmers are or you can't talk about it without climate change or the disproportionate access and distribution. And it's a huge issue. And it's also so fundamental. It's one of our needs as human beings that it just becomes so overwhelming, but it should be such a simple solution, a simple answer. Um, so I think that's kind of where my interest came out in it. Um, and I'm kind of paving the way, trying to figure it out and figure out which aspects of it I'm interested in and also come back to, as you had mentioned, planetary and personal health. Um, and it's just, it's a multifaceted issue that is a systemic issue that we need to have a systemic response to. Absolutely. And I think something that struck me as you were talking was we've become disconnected from our food, that we go to the grocery store and we think, oh yeah, there's some magic machine in the back that prints out, you know, spits out my bags of spinach. And that's not how it works. And so I think a critical part of this conversation is understanding where your food comes from and why agriculture is such a big part of the sustainability discussion. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, I had worked in um, grammar schools in, when I was in college, um, and we would, um, we would grow carrots and all of these things. And a, the greatest thing that reminded me of everything was they'd be like, this is where carrots come from. This is, this is where lettuce is grown. Like this, and it's so simple when you grow up in a city your whole life, you go to the supermarket and that's where it comes from. And I think knowing your farmer, or at least knowing the farm or how it is grown, not only is important to eating healthier, but it makes you want to eat healthier because you're like, oh, this is how it's grown and you feel a deeper connection to it. Um, and it's just so critical. Absolutely. Like we have a farmer's market here in Jersey City and I love going and knowing that I'm supporting 
a like particular farmer. It makes me feel like not only am I putting good stuff in my body, but I'm supporting someone's livelihood. And I can actually, I've met the person who owns that farm, which is, I think, really cool. And it's a nice connection to something that I think a lot of us take for granted. Eating meals is something that a lot of us take for granted. Mm-hmm, 100%. And if you look at the larger food system, most of it's run by big corporations and you're losing those farmers that this is their livelihood. And now these farmers are trying to compete with the big guys yeah. and it's impossible. It, it truly is. And that's where going to those farmers markets or supporting a CSA or something like that really makes such a difference in the community. Absolutely. So let's maybe start off with some facts and figures because I love to do that. And I think it's really important for people to understand. Mm -hmm. We've collected a lot and we may not get through all of these, but let's try. Um, So agricultural land use dominates about 40% of the earth's land surface. And it has been the principal driver of deforestation, habitat loss and degradation and global biodiversity loss, um, which I think a lot of people don't recognize that yes, we as humans occupy a lot of land, but 40% of our land is going for agriculture. And I think that's a really important thing to consider, especially as our global global population continues to grow. How much more of that are we going to take over? Mm -hmm. And going right off of that, we already don't have a sustainable food system. So with this growing population, we're supposed to have 10 billion people in the next 30 years. And this, this figure blew my mind, ready? So In the next 30 years, we are going to have to produce more food than we ever have in history because we have so many people coming onto the planet. And also as developing countries start to have the same kind of needs and desires as developed countries like like America, they're going to start wanting um, meat and dairy. And those are not sustainable food choices. And so as uh, Western culture, we also need to dramatically reduce our consumption, um, especially with it dominating 40% of our land use. That's dramatic. And we really need to do something. Really do. Um, I think also a lot of people don't realize that agriculture is the biggest consumer and polluter of our water sources. So things like your lakes, your aquifers, rivers, even coastal oceans have been disrupted by human activities around food production. And So it's not just the land that's being impacted now, it's also our waterways. And I mean, the only thing that humans really need to survive are food and water. So what are we really doing? Mm -hmm. And again, that goes back to the industrial food system. So if you're going to an organic farm, that's not a huge farm, but is producing a general amount of food and compare it to an industrial farm that is just, it's a factory. It is just pushing out beef and pork and anything you want. It's literally pushing it out and it is so terrible with the pesticides that they use with the hormones that they use and that all goes into the runoff in the water and so that's another critical reason of why you should be supporting even if it's not small local farmers it's just knowing where your food is coming from and the impact it's having on the community absolutely and then also i think the last thing that needs to be considered with food systems is food waste Um, So currently the food system contributes 25% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. Part of that is from the waste, part of it is from the production of it, but that's a lot. I mean, 25% is is a lot higher than I thought it was going to be, to be quite honest. It's terrible. And the fact that we aren't feeding the world sustainably to begin with, if we were to lower that just a little bit, 
I mean, a third of all food waste is, a third of all food is wasted. And so if you're able to remove that, you're able to feed so many more people. Um, And I think it's just something that we all need to be more aware of and go compost. And I think something with food is that it can be overwhelming. It's you should compost, you should eat healthy, you should go to the farmer's market, you should, 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 should. It's all these shoulds. And it gets overwhelming. Um, And taking that first step to doing something um, is critical. And even if it's a small step, it's really important. Yeah. Um, I think that something that everyone needs to remember is that there, there are no right answers to all of this and going to what you said about the should, should, shoulds, the, the conversation that we really want to have here is about making the choices that feel best for you and your family. Um, you absolutely can compost, you can eat less meat, but also at the same time, you want to make sure that you're not making drastic changes in your lifestyle that then make you unhappy. There is a way to live sustainably and also be happy with your lifestyle. Um, and I think that's the part of the conversation that really needs to be emphasized that yes, this is a serious problem and we do need to collectively shift habits, but this is my unpopular opinion. I think you can still eat beef from time to time and live sustainably. I agree 100%. And so I worked at Jasala this past summer and something we were trying to encourage is plant rich diets, which if you go to Project Drawdown, that is one of the critical ways to reduce our emissions um, by 2050. However, it depends on where your beef is coming from. So for example, White Oak Pastures, it's a regenerative farm in Georgia. They have cattle um, and their carbon footprint is 111% lower than the conventional US beef system. So it's not exactly the beef itself. It's, it's the, the burps and the farts from the methane that's coming from the cows. Absolutely. But having cattle isn't the end all be all. So having, um, like if you're able to capture that carbon, sorry, if you're able to capture that carbon in the soil, you're able to offset all of those emissions. And that is so important to realize. Um, so it's not that beef is bad. And if you go online, you can go to so many websites that are super pro-regenerative ag. Um, and it's important. But again, it comes back to the fact that that's not easy, easily accessed. So when you go to the supermarket, they're not having regenerative beef. In fact, I think it's four companies control 85% of all beef um, production. Wow. And they're not regenerative. And so at the end of it, if you're going and getting beef that is regenerative, that's great. But if you're eating beef from that you don't know where it's from, yeah, it's not great. Um, And it also comes back to that cultural aspect of it. So I know I'm Italian. We make meatballs. We have sparrows. We do all this stuff, mozzarella cheese. That's a cultural thing for me. And I'm not Mm going to give up beef. However, when I was working at Just Salad, I started realizing the impacts of having beef and lamb. And I actually tried to cut down my beef consumption. And number one, I will admit, I felt so much healthier (laughs) eating all these salads. Um, And two, it's not hard. Um, So if you have the option to get better beef or lamb or chicken, whatever, um, it's great. And we also need to. Yeah. Um, So it should be a luxury rather than your meal is all beef and all lamb all the time. Right. It's a luxury and like a treat. It's not a necessity and a, and a normal thing, um, which I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, if And something that I've been thinking about a lot is how we need more intentional systems, both like 
in the food systems, but also systems in our day-to-day -day lives where we need to really be aware of our impacts and thinking about that. And um, just, you know, a simple thing of recognizing like, oh, I've eaten steak four times this week. First of all, not great for your body. Uh, secondly, not great for the planet. So even just, I think, an awareness of what's happening in your day-to-day make huge, huge impact. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, and there's a study from the University of Michigan that says the average, so CO2 E stands for carbon dioxide equivalent. So it's all the gases that they just make equivalent to carbon dioxide itself. Um, but the average emissions of the daily American diet is 4.7. Because there's not a lot of research at the moment about what it should be, what it is, whatever the Eat Lancet report has said that we need to lower that and decrease it by half. So that means about 2.5, let's say, though it's not quoted anywhere, so don't hold me to that, but about 2.5. Um, and the average, a hamburger is 3.75. So the second you have a hamburger, you're already over that mm -hmm. limit. Um, so when I was tracking my diet for a week, and I had meat one day and I was like, well, <laughs> there it goes. Like I'm done for the day. But if you do it over the week, like you said, if you have four steaks a week, not great. But if you have a steak a day and have that quick luxury item, it's not the end of the world. But if you do it every day, it's more of understanding what it is and where it's coming from. Yep. And it's the snowball effect. It's like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. It's kind of like how I think about, um, littering and I know this is a weird analogy to make it's like oh I'll just throw this out and like it's no big deal I'm just doing it but if everyone does that the collective impact is so big and if everyone does that mm -hmm. every day um we're all pretty much screwed so don't litter and don't eat steak every day you take <laughs> nothing else away from this I love um, it. <laughs> let's maybe talk a little bit about access if you're ready I'm ready yeah, so eating sustainably is a privilege, like we were talking about with the regenerative beef. You don't find that everywhere. And eating um, for your health and eating for the planet's health, I think it's something that you do have to do quite intentionally. That doesn't mean that you need to be eating all organic and like all local and stuff like that. Um, and I don't think that that's sustainable for anyone because not everyone has equal access um, to these things. And so you in our notes wrote about food deserts. Uh, and I'm gonna just throw out that approximately 820 million people still lack sufficient food and many more consume an unhealthy diet that contributes to premature death and morbidity. And I know that this is something that you're really passionate about. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so if I may, I'm gonna give a quick story as to how I got into interest in food. Yeah. Um, so I went to Fordham up in the Bronx, New York, and I'm from Flushing, Queens originally and had great food. I was looking over my parents as well. So of course I had great food and they're helping me out with all that. When I went to college, I started noticing my health deteriorating. I didn't feel well. I was always tired, lots of issues. Um, and it was, I want to say it was January. It was the middle of the winter, huge snowstorm. And I was walking back to my, um, my apartment off campus and I was like, I need to get something to eat. The supermarket was pretty far away. And I was like, I'm not going to go walk, pick something up. So I looked at my options across Fordham Road and there was White Castle, there was McDonald's, there was a bodega, there was a pizza place, there was a bodega, there was another pizza. It, it was just all processed foods. And it was in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, this is of course why I've been feeling terribly. And I was so privileged that I was only there for two years and then went back home and had great access again. But in those two years, my health deteriorated so much 
And I started realizing, realizing the privilege that I had and how terrible food deserts actually were. And that's how I got into this entire thing. Um, diabetes is among the 10 leading causes of death in the United States. Um, in, 19, in the 1950s, about 1% 1 of the US population had diabetes. And fast forward to today, we're at about 9%, which is pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and this all just goes back to the idea of creating supermarkets and processed foods, and that all happened in the 1950s. And so going back to that moment in the Bronx was when I really had that moment. And I, it kind of fast forwarded my track to wanting to do more things with urban agriculture. It led to my thesis and really understanding what this is. But that's important to know that malnutrition doesn't mean starvation. Malnutrition means diabetes. It means um, chronic illnesses like heart disease, obesity. And this is all because fruits and vegetables aren't always the most affordable thing. And it also goes to the fact that education about how to cook fruits and vegetables is really difficult. I know for myself, I grew up on a meat and potatoes kind of diet. I've only started incorporating vegetables into my diet very recently. And it was a learning curve. And so going to a farmer's market and seeing something like kohlrabi, you're not going to, I don't even know how I cook that sometimes. Like I chop it up and I'm like, I think that's good. But it's, it's an education learning curve that we really need to encourage children, I think is where you start um, yeah. to cook better. I think also there's a convenience factor. So we live in a convenience culture. And so it's so much easier to go to the McDonald's to throw the frozen pizza into the mm -hmm. oven than to sit down and make a full meal that is wholesome and balanced and nutritional. Um, and that's something that I really hope that our future generations move away from. And I, I see it happening on a small scale, but that whole convenience of, oh, I don't need to like make, you know, a homemade salad. I'm just going to eat this frozen meal from Trader Joe's. And the fact mm -hmm. that things like Trader Joe's exist that make it so easy contributes to that. So, um, but yeah, going back to the whole pricing issue as well, I think that buying organic um, foods, buying whole foods is really not available to a lot of people. And so one of the things that I was really interested in talking about was democratizing access to whole foods and sustainable foods. Um, you're part of a CSA. Why don't you tell us about that? Sure. So CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. Um, I'm in Astoria, Queens now. And basically it's a farm across the story. They have a few different locations. And every week I go, so on Wednesdays tomorrow, I'll go and get my share of vegetables for the week. And I, during COVID, it has been such a blessing because I don't love going to the grocery store and getting lettuce that everyone has touched. So it's a blessing, but it's a little pricey. So it's $30 a, I'm sorry, $30 a week. And that adds up. And so on top of your regular groceries that you need to get, it's not the most accessible thing. However, they do, they do offer um, different packages if you're not able to afford that. So they're very um, welcoming. Accommodating. Yeah, absolutely, which is great. But it's still a lot of money. Um, and I, I'm not sure if they accept SNAP. What's great about farmers markets is now they're accepting SNAP, which is critical. Um, but community support agriculture has been great in terms of you get kohlrabi. This is my example because I got kohlrabi. It looked like an alien plant. I didn't know what it was. Um, and it forced me to cook it. It forced me to be like, oh, let me look up a recipe as opposed to going to the supermarket and getting lettuce, tomatoes, and throwing it in a salad. So it inspires you to eat a little bit healthier. 
And I'm seeing these pop up everywhere. So farmers markets are pretty ubiquitous nowadays. CSAs are starting to get there. And I think because food is so central to our lives, there are so many organizations that are trying to fix the problem. Um, and as I had mentioned earlier, whatever the issue is, if it's the average age of farmers, 57, they're trying to encourage younger farmers to join the movement, or if it's trying to get more access out there or distribution or healthy foods, whatever it is, there's an organization for it. Absolutely. So I think it's definitely gaining momentum, but it is also, it could be a gentrifying factor as well. Um, it's always the thing you see a Whole Foods popping up. It's not a great sign for the neighborhood. And it, that shouldn't be the case in terms of organic food should not equal gentrification, but it does. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've invested in, in the time of COVID, time of quarantine, um, was uh, I signed up for Imperfect Foods. Mm. And so I'm really loving that because a lot of the food that farmers produce actually goes to waste because of um, imperfections. It's either too ugly or too big or too small or whatever. And so companies like Misfit Markets and Imperfect Foods, they will collect it and they'll send it to you um, at a discounted rate. And what I love about that is that I'm preventing food from going to landfill. I'm learning what's in season. So I think that's really important for me is to understand what the seasons are for my favorite fruits, vegetables. I'm learning about new produce that I've never heard of. and I'm putting good stuff in my body at a discounted rate. So I encourage you to look into that. And the other thing I've started doing is composting. And that has been just such a freaking delight. Um, <laughs> again, but that's an access thing. So I know that Jersey City, we have a few community gardens where you can drop off your compost. Or there's an organization that actually comes and collects it for a fee. But that's not something that everyone has. Right. Um, so Especially this, for a fee. <laughs> right. And so this is something that goes back to the whole eating sustainably disposing of your food sustainably, I think is absolutely a privilege. Um, And I hope that we see more democratization of it. I hope that it becomes more and more accessible because it is such a basic human right to have access to good food. 100%. Um, It it literally is, you plan your day around it. If you think about it, you wake up, what's for breakfast? At some point you're like, I have to eat lunch. Your your whole day is about eating. And when you meet up with friends, I know for me, it's where are we going to go eat? And I think the fact that we are so disconnected from it is shocking and it's concerning, especially with the impact it has on the climate. And if you throw in all the things I had mentioned earlier about food, this is something that we really need to become more aware of. And I think education is the first aspect in that. Um, And I know when I started getting into this, then I started composting as well. And you start to see, I know for me, I keep my compost in the freezer and you start to see it pile up and you're like, oh my gosh, this would have just ended up in the landfill, would have been methane. Like, look, look at what I'm doing. And it encourages you to do more. Um, but it is an access issue. I know I have a location that's about four blocks away. They stopped accepting it during COVID, but they've started accepting it again. But when I was back in Flushing, there was nowhere for me to do it. And so it's something that, again, could be considered a gentrifying thing, um, but there are a lot of grassroots or organizations that are stepping up and trying to make this more of a community effort, which is, which it should be, um, especially with food. Food is all about community and personal growth and relationships, yeah. and it, it should be a community effort the whole time. Absolutely. And there's no segment of our population that doesn't need to eat. So 
maybe it's like a unifying aspect. Maybe we can all get behind it and be like, hey, we're all humans. We all got to eat. So Right. <laughs> and let's make yeah. it easy. <laughs> I agree. Um, and it, it'll just be interesting because with food, there also comes in the diet aspect and are you keto? Are you pet? There's all these different diets and it's so personal. I know if you go to someone and say you can't eat beef anymore, it's a personal attack almost. Um, and so making it more of a community effort and then bringing that back to climate change as well, being like, we need to lower our emissions for us to have a more sustainable life for our future by 2050. Um, it's just important. Yeah. A lot of good stuff to think about. Um, I want to thank you so much, Leanne, for your time and your expertise on this matter. And I'll be including details and links in the description box below for people to find you on the web, get in touch with you. We'll include some resources that we've been using. Um, just wanted to leave it with you for any closing thoughts that you had. Um, first of all, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure to talk about. Um, in terms of closing thoughts, I want everyone to just come away with this in terms of eating for your health and eating for the planet. And so you don't have to give up beef, but know where your food comes from. And you don't need to only eat salads, but also go to the farmer's market and take one small step, whether it's a meatless Monday or whether it's composting, but just something to really get yourself going in that direction. Um, and it'll just kind of snowball and you'll be doing it all one day. Yeah. And keep eating good food. Food is delicious. <laughs> I agree. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you.